Welcome to the Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better, because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Our next guest is the author of over 30 books, both fiction and nonfiction. He has written on subjects like NASCAR, entitled Rolling Thunder. He's also written on college football, featuring the Bear, Bear Bryant. He's written some inspirational books called The Ride Series. He has written on WW2 history and historical submarines, such as the USS Batfish and the USS Nautilus. He's also written some fictional submarine stories, one entitled Final Bearing, and the other one is Firing Point, which actually became a movie in 2018 entitled Hunter Killer. He is an extra class amateur radio operator. He's written several books on amateur radio, Get on the Air Now, Riding the Short Waves, The Amateur Radio Dictionary, Dial Dancing. He's also the man who told me I have a face for radio and a voice for newspaper. Mm-hmm. Don Keith, K, uh, N4KC. Welcome to the program, Don. Hey, hello to you all, and thanks for having me. Good to have you on the program. This is KN4CMT checking in with you as well. And KI4DHS. (laughs) Roger, Roger, QSL. (laughs) Very good, Don. Don, how did you get started in ham radio? Well, I was a a bright young kid of 10 years old, and my dad happened to be a a television repairman. Remember back when you repaired televisions? I remember. Instead of throwing them away when Mm -hmm. they went bad? Well, that's what he did for a living. And he also had an old shortwave receiver, a military surplus shortwave receiver. He called me out one day and said, I want you to hear this. And I listened, and it was... I said, well, that's not very compelling. What is that? (laughs) He said, that is a satellite. The Russians lost a satellite called Sputnik, and it just went over our heads, and that's what you heard. That's amazing. yeah, I would had a little bit of interest anyway because it was sort of magical to me that we could sit in our living room and hear a, a radio station in Chicago. This is in rural Alabama. We could hear a radio station in Chicago and Dallas and New York City, even Cuba. We could hear Radio Cuba, Radio Havana. Wow. That was sort of a, a magical thing. And I, I got a copy of an encyclopedia called The Book of Knowledge, and it had an article in there about amateur radio. And the more I learned, the more I was just fascinated by it. A local uh, ham where I was growing up started a class in uh, the high school, and I got my license when I was 13. If you could do the math, that was 1961. Wow, that's amazing. And I moved from my novice class license up to general within about six months. And then uh, back then you had to be licensed for 10 years before you could get your extra class. So 10 years and one day later I took my extra exam and (laughs) passed it and have been an extra class ham since. So I'm working on 60 years in this hobby, guys. That's wonderful. That is such an encouraging message, too, for some of our listeners who are very new. They're interested in learning about amateur radio called ham radio and others like yourselves who have been in it for many, many decades and enjoy it so much. Now, what a lot of people won't know is that um, you spent a lot of years in commercial broadcasting. Did the ham radio lead to part of that? Absolutely, and that's a very important aspect of the hobby, especially for younger folks who are looking for a hobby. Uh, Not only does it teach you about uh, radio itself, 
uh, quite a bit about physics. Even if you're not a geek, it also has a big advantage because with, by being in a hobby in which you pretty much have to talk to people, you learn to communicate. You learn to communicate in a lot of different ways. When you throw the switch and start talking, you got to say something. And you've got to listen to what the other guy is saying. Mm -hmm. And that whole thing about being able to and improving your talents at communicating makes the hobby well worthwhile for somebody young. There are a lot of reasons for us old folks, too. Amateur radio has a big push on to try to get younger people involved just because it can lead to a career in electronics or communications or cellular technology or whatever. But I also think it's the perfect hobby for people who are older, maybe looking at retirement. It's a hobby you literally can be involved in until the day you go to the, the big radio station in the sky. <laughs> you know, it's not like fishing or golf or some of the other things that require some physical dexterity. You can, you can be a ham from now on, and it doesn't take that much uh, physical effort to do it. We were working especially... Yeah, it's a wonderful way to to interact with people, even if there is a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, I think a lot of folks do it too for the the <clears throat> the brotherhood, the sisterhood, the companionship, the very very dear friendships that can be forged along the way. You know, when you, we've been to absolutely, several... and I I don't think people are aware enough of how important companionship and interaction with other human beings is. That's the way we're wired, mm-hmm. and to be able. You know, whether you're uh, shut in because of a pandemic or because of a physical ailment or whatever, you're still able to communicate with people. And that makes all the difference in the world in your physical health. I would think that it would have a lot to do with keeping your mind sharp. Absolutely. Exactly. Keeping the, keeping the brain power strong. Well, Don, well, what are- that's, the third, that's the third thing I always cite is the mind, the brain is a muscle. I learn something every day in this hobby. Of course, I learn something every day in a lot of other things unassociated with ham radio, but uh, I'm excited to learn new things about the hobby, and that, that does, I hope, keep my mind fresh and young and receptive. Well, I know it does because you have become a very successful author, and I want Mark to kind of take the lead on this next uh, subject about your uh, authorship before we get, I, I did want to mention. Oh. You mentioned a, a career, and it did directly lead to me spending 22 years in broadcasting on oh, the air and yes. stations in Birmingham, Alabama, and Nashville, Tennessee. Owned a station in Mobile, Alabama. That I developed software for another uh, 12 years for radio and advertising agencies, and finally ran an in-house ad agency for the final 10 years of my working career. All along the way, though, I was writing books. <laughs> what got you into writing books? I'm a storyteller. You couldn't tell by listening to me, could you? <laughs> no. And then one day I realized that people would actually pay you money to make up lies. <laughs> <laughs> that's a politician. Wait a minute. That's, that's natural. That's a, that comes very naturally to me. I but like I've it. always enjoyed telling stories. I come from a long line of storytellers. My dad and my grandfather could sit down at a park somewhere and spin up yarns with anybody who was unfortunate enough to sit down next to them. <laughs> but I, I love a good story. And to me, the perfect story is one where you take a, an otherwise ordinary person and you put that uh, person into an unusual, trying situation, and they do remarkable things. 
And I think I could put that tag on every single book I've written, and I'll publish number 36 and number 37 this spring. So, Wow, congratulations. Uh, that's so tremendous. many stories, so little time. Oh, well, I will tell best. you one, one book that you wrote that has meant a lot to us. It's not my favorite book that you wrote, but um, we have it. I've gone through it many, many times, and it was the book uh, Writing to Get Published. Uh, writing to get read, uh, writing to get published and read, I believe, is the title of the book. Yep. And, and Don, I'm looking at two books on the um, the shelf here in front of us, and on the bottom of the book it says Mark and Crystal Lawley. So, in the past uh, 15 months, we've published two, and we have the third in the works now. We have you to thank for that. <laughs> well, <You> congratulations! <laughs> look, look what I've unleashed upon the world. <laughs> We get the credit or the blame either way, but we, we do appreciate your skills and your talent and your, your ability to be a storyteller. Now, you authored a book called Dream Own, and something special has happened with that book. And uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, and that one came about the way a lot of these books do. Somebody, a good mutual friend, called me up and said, you've got to tell this fellow's story and invited me to go to a free barbecue lunch, and I never turned down a free barbecue lunch. Negative. I had the opportunity at that lunch to meet a fellow named Steve Skipper. Steve was a young black man growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, during the Civil Rights era, who had a lot of frustrations like a lot of us do. He wanted to be a painter, but people kept telling him, as a black man, you'll never be able to make a living as a painter. Go out and get a job. Don't make anybody mad. Get through this life, and you'll get your reward in the next life. That and some other frustrations, some family issues, uh, an opportunity to try drugs, which seemed to take him away from all the, the stuff that was bothering him, led to a life in the gangs. He became a crip and a bad crip. He's the guy who would go out and collect drug debts, and he never came back without the money. Hmm. Um, but on a dare almost, a, a friend of his dared him to go to church. And if he would just go to church, he would quit uh, witnessing to him about Christ. Mm-hmm. And Steve, rather than kill him, which the other gang members wanted to do, he said, okay, I'll go to church if you'll hush. And the guy said, deal. He went to church. The minister preached a message that night that reached right into Steve's heart and soul, and he changed his life completely. And now he's one of the most prolific and honored artists in the world. He, he started doing uh, uh, Christian art, very inspiring, and those paintings hang in collector's homes all over the world. He turned to sports art, and he's, he's painted just about every big name in the NFL, the NBA, professional golf, even professional rodeo and ice skating, if you could believe that. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day uh, he said God spoke to him and said, okay, we're not going to do the sports art for a while. I want you to start commemorating the personalities and the events of the civil rights struggle. And he started doing that, and now he's just reached a whole new level of fame and Anyway, we wanted to tell that story again. Otherwise, ordinary person, you put him in an unusual or trying situation, and he has done some remarkable things. Well, that book was called Dream On, and I started a little film company because I want to be able to tell stories in any medium there is, whether it's uh, on the radio or uh, in book form or in the movies. And our first project was a film we called Colors of Character. Colors of Character is now a documentary film. It's in limited release as we record this at theaters all over the country, and probably will go back into theaters at some other point once this pandemic 
calms down a little bit. And we have tickets and for that on Sunday afternoon. And it's going in churches nationwide starting December 18th. I'm sorry, starting November 18th. And we have uh, tickets for that for this Sunday afternoon here in Huntsville, Alabama. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, super. Yeah. I hope you enjoy it. I, everybody, my wife and I actually saw it for the first time last night in a local theater here. And uh, the crowd applauded at the end. That made me happy. Oh, and that's wonderful. We're excited about seeing it. It, it, it's, uh, it began showing, I think, in the middle of the week here, and we actually have tickets for a viewing for it tomorrow afternoon. So we're right. very well, excited. The website is coloresofcharactermovie.com. Colors of coloresofcharactermovie.com. Yes, thank you for that. I, I would very much encourage our listeners and their friends, family, and neighbors to go and find this film and see it and find your books and read them. <clears throat> Okay, and in addition to writing books, we also want our listeners to know that Don is a sought-after speaker, and he's available in person or via video appearances as well. Who would ever think that we'd be doing video appearances at conventions and things <laughs> like that? Well, it takes a... I know, yeah. but you know what? I can do the, I can do a speech in front of a thousand people and not even have to put on pants. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think a lot of folks have decided that the, the not wearing of, of of pants to work seems to be the thing to do. A lot of sports uh, announcers uh, on the evening sports, like they're the wearing ladies. a coat and tie from the waist up, and they're wearing <laughs> jogging shorts and tennis shoes from the waist down. Exactly, yeah, I've seen that as well. <laughs> well, Don, we certainly appreciate you being with us today. Uh, how can people get your books, and how can they contact you if they'd like for you to come and speak? By far, the best way is just go to donkeith.com, D-O-N-K-E-I-T-H.com, and it has an email uh, hook up there. Always glad to do it. I, I talk a great deal about ham radio and the advantages of getting into the hobby and what the hobby can bring to folks. Um I, I'll be speaking to about a thousand people in a month at the Naval Submarine League, Washington D.C. chapter. Um, I'm on the uh, current Rick and Bubba University uh, podcast. If you just go to Rick and Bubba University, for those of you who have that morning show in your markets, um, but it, uh, yeah, that's the kind of stuff I love doing because I'm, I'm an evangelist for uh, a lot of things. Ham radio is one of them. Uh, capturing oral history, putting people uh, people's experiences of eyewitness history into the archives so writers like me can access them and tell those stories. That's how we understand war. That's how we understand technology and innovation is by hearing from the people who are a part of it. Well, there are a lot of things that are in ham radio. It's um, I know when you started, a lot of it was Morse code and uh, you're probably the fastest at Morse code that I personally know. And uh, you can type Morse code quicker than I can speak, I believe. But uh, Yeah, you know, it's, it's important to note that Morse code is no longer required to get a license. You do not have to know the code. I was going to... That scared a lot of people <laughs> off. I never I understood why. That. Yeah, I was going to mention Morse that. code's fun, but and I still yeah. do a lot of Morse code. But I also work with a lot of the digital technologies, which is also a lot of fun. What are some of the things that, that people can do in ham radio? There's so many things there that not everything interests everyone. And I'm going retro. This year, my goal is to learn to operate 
Morse code. Um, Mike Ferguson, you remember Mike, I knew that the Morse code was going to be dropped in July. And he said, if you wait till July, I'm going to call you a light general. And so I went and took the test and passed both the general and the code in May. In fact, it was May the 6th, and by May the 8th, I had forgotten the code. So what I'm working on now is relearning it and learning to actually operate in code, because that will get through when nothing else works. Exactly. You could talk a lot farther, a lot longer, uh, using Morse code. And it's just plain fun. I just enjoy it. I don't understand why people are afraid of it. I learned the code itself in two days, and I had my five words a minute in a week. It just came easy to me, I guess. My dad, who was the TV repairman who built a transmitter with shoestring and bailing wire, never could get past five words a minute. It's just was a mental block for him. But that's just one aspect, though. You're absolutely right. I don't care what your interests are. Ham radio ties in nicely. One of the big things now is with RVers and campers and hikers who take their radios to summits, peaks. They take them to parks. Parks on the air is a big thing. You try to talk to as many national and state parks around the country as you can. Um, of course, obviously, it's wonderful for just chatting. I, I don't think I've ever had a boring conversation on the, the amateur radio bands. I remember in 4KC pedestrian portable i still do that and when i take my walk for exercise i take along we call it an ht or a handy talkie that can talk to a local fm repeater and allow me to get a lot better range i take that and mostly i listen but i can also talk and often do if nobody else is talking and it's good exercise and a lot of fun well, I miss those uh, early morning conversations since we've moved to North Alabama. I wish well, you I might could hit the repeater here sometime. You ought to give it a whirl. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're talking about putting up a Yagi uh, aimed at Birmingham. Uh, I've got a couple of grandsons in Leeds, Alabama, and mm-hmm. we want to be able to talk with them. Uh, the 11-year-old is studying for his license now. His daddy has his tech. And so uh, I want him to be able to get off the bus and be able to talk to Papa uh, somewhere around 100 miles away. Actually, it's about 60 nautical miles, but um, driving, it's 99 miles from driveway to driveway. Um, Yeah, for your listeners that don't know, we're talking about uh, the, the higher frequencies where we primarily use the FM mode, just like you listen to FM radio in your car, but... We use repeater stations, which allow those to talk much greater distances. On some of the frequencies that we're allowed to use, we can literally talk all around the world. I talked to a station in Namibia, Africa, yesterday. Hmm. That's amazing. My son-in-law in North Carolina has gotten his tech, and so we're able to chat with him sometimes from time to time and i think mark's had it mark more so than me even had a direct influence on his interest in ham and getting his tech license and i think for him he is a hiker he likes to hike alone he'll drop him in any forest in any area of the world and he would be fine but he does understand and realize the need and necessity of emergency communication should the need arise. And he was one of the reasons uh, or who we had in mind as we wrote our first book, Making Contact During Emergencies. You're out on the trail. What happens?
happens if you're hurt? What happens if someone else is hurt? Uh, how do you get help? And that, that was the basis. Wait a minute, of you're, you're telling me you can't just pull out your cell phone and call for help? <laughs> no, you cannot. There's a, there's some folks that believe that a, a cell, they falsely believe a cell phone works everywhere all the time, and it does not. Um, they've the, the sad case is unless they have a satellite phone or a ham radio of, of some sort, they're, they're alone. It's just them in the air. And so uh, a lot of folks, especially prepper folks that have that side interest in ham, they're looking at it from even a prepper emergency communication standpoint. If there's a natural disaster, the cell phones are going to be among the first devices to go dark. You know, because wait a minute, you're telling me that cell phone towers blow down in Cat Four hurricanes? <laughs> I'm telling you that we we're all tongue in cheek, but yet that some folks are finding that out after the fact. It never occurred to them that the cell phone tower could blow down, and they're finding out in these hurricane um, Hugos and Katrinas and and Andrews and and uh, the ones that have hit here recently. It can be weeks, months, sometimes before those cell towers are reconstructed. Well, even and then, a lot of times, even though most cell locations do have backup battery, those batteries only last a few days, especially with everybody trying to use the, the, oh, the cell right. let their family know they're okay. And, I mean, we have places that even just now in Louisiana are getting their power back on from the first hurricane. Exactly. They've been hit and hit and hit, you know, three weeks apart on a regular basis. And, you know, it's just a mess. And so ham radio is the form that can get through. And I can tell you that the American Red Cross is certainly grateful for ham radio operators to show up alongside of them when a disaster occurs because they can forward messages through repeaters to worried kinfolk all over the country and the world who don't don't know how to get in touch with, you know, Uncle Joe and Aunt Sue down there in, in Metairie and can't seem to get anybody, but the ham radio operators can forward emergency messaging exactly. back Exactly, and, and, you know, one of my pet peeves is I hear people say that with technology now, uh, radar and all that, uh, the, the weather service can see a tornado. Sometimes they can't. And sometimes they're seeing what they think might be a tornado that's not on the ground. Somebody on the ground has to tell them, yes, it is. Mm -hmm. And it's causing damage. And it's causing loss of life. And you need to get some help here. I have heard lives saved by ham radio by being able to get a tornado reported via storm spotters. Actually heard that on my scanner. The tornado was reported. Weather service issued a warning. People got into shelters and lives were saved. And, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's a pretty powerful thing where you can save people's lives through a hobby. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the value is priceless. You cannot put a value on that. We, we cannot stress enough how important we believe in it, and, and I know you do too, and so many around, millions of amateur operators around the world. It, it's, um, it is certainly not a dead hobby. In fact, it's probably one of the most vibrant hobbies. If you read the latest periodicals uh, on the hobby, it's, it's growing by leaps and bounds, and I think more and more people are finding the value of being able to communicate um, in a licensed way. Yes, it is FCC licensed, and there are certain provisions and certain limitations on that license which everyone adheres to and if you don't adhere to them you just don't get to play fun stuff anymore what are some of the impediments <laughs> yeah, and, you see to and that's people? actually a good 
that's, that's a good thing it because is. it does allow us all to use those frequencies that are available to us. Mm-hmm. I think that's the reason, and you're right, it, the, the hobby is does continue to grow even though there are a lot of distractions. Uh, a lot of people still assume it's like it used to be where it was your crazy uncle in the basement with all the sparks and <laughs> flames and smoke and, and whatever. Cables. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, nowadays you, you can talk to the International Space Station. Several of the, uh, the astronauts in the ISS are hands. Mm-hmm. You can bounce a signal off the moon. You can talk to amateur satellites that are in orbit. You can experiment with tying your computer and your, your ham radio together and use RF and computer technology to do truly remarkable things. And there are guys who have remote stations in the Arctic, in the Antarctic, that operate from the comfort of their dining rooms in in, uh, Poughkeepsie, New York, and they'll use a a remote station in the Yukon. I can't emphasize enough how whatever your interests are, you'll find it. What do you see as some impediments to uh, folks getting into ham radio today? The, I actually did research on this and wrote a book about it. Uh, I, I kept running into people who either had always thought about becoming a ham but never had or who had gotten a license and never even got on the air, or if they did, they just got a little cheap walkie-talkie and uh, couldn't really talk that much on it. And we're disappointed in the experience. So I, I did some research, and the, the top impediments, number one is putting a station together to get on the air, especially an antenna. People think about a big, huge tower and a big beam-type antenna on top of it. You don't necessarily need those, but you rush out and you buy a Chinese walkie-talkie that has what we call a rubber duck antenna, which is definitely a compromise. And you can't even hit the local FM repeater station with that thing. Mm. So you throw it in the closet and you forget about the hobby. But an antenna does not have to be a big, huge, involved, or expensive thing. Expense is another thing. People say, well, it costs thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah, it, it can. You can uh, you can invest in a station that costs more than a good car, a new car. But you don't have to. There are a lot of ways to go that will get you on the air and get you a satisfactory experience for a lot less than $1,000. People say, well, $1,000 is a lot of money. Well, go out and price a good set of golf clubs, a golf bag, green fees, and a membership at a club somewhere. Or a PlayStation. Go price a bass boat <laughs> and a full rig to go out and uh, fish for mm-hmm. bass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Ham radio is cheap. Mm-hmm. And it, it, and it gives back quite a deal, great deal more, too. You were uh, talking about the yeah. antenna. Um, in our, what we have here for HF is 14-gauge wire. And yep. it's it's on a... 30-foot pole, and one leg runs to the front yard, one leg runs to the backyard, and you can talk around the world on that. And we're using just 100 watts, and that's voice. I'm really looking forward to see what I can do with uh, Morse code when when we get that capability, or actually when I get to And you know what? That that wire antenna with a coax feed line or an open wire feed line that... Your uh, your neighbors will never know you have it. Nope. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. The only telephone I ever messed up with my ham radio was our own cordless phone. <laughs> that that's the only one I ever messed up. No televisions. No no cell phone. No, well, we didn't have cell phones back then. Uh, no cordless well, phones. Well, if you've been around as long as I have, you'll remember when it was really a bad thing because most people were using an outdoor TV antenna. Right. And they were watching. 
VHF channels, you know, channels three, five, six, run along in there, mm-hmm. and just about any kind of RF would uh, mess those things up. So we had TVI. I even had a letter published in Dear Abby one time. Um, somebody had written in talking about the neighbor was causing a lot of interference. And Dear Abby said, just report him to the FCC. And I wrote and said, no, that's not what you do. The first thing you do is walk over and talk with him. If he's a ham, he probably can take action to to avoid that. Uh, but most likely it's a, a citizen's bander, which I have nothing against citizen's band, but there are guys who will run 5,000-watt amplifiers on the citizen's band, and sometimes those are a little dirty and cause problems. Oh, but yeah. now most people are on cable or satellite or they've cut the cord and they're on the uh, Wi-Fi anyway or the Internet. And uh, television interference is not really a big deal at all anymore. No, and it was the operator's responsibility to stop that interference, and many times it was just putting an inexpensive filter on the neighbor's television. Don, you touched on right. something that I that I want to kind of jump into, and because I've heard this from uh, a lot of folks that are communicating with me, they say, "Well, ham radio isn't that CB?" They they don't know that there is a difference, and their experience with CB radios. I mean, going back from when it was really popular in the seventies up until today, they don't understand that CB radio is not ham radio by a long way, and it's. Um, CB radio can be a very disturbing experience for some people because some of the content and the language is not appropriate, period, for any age, person, or gender. Um, it's, it's a freedom of speech thing, and some people take that freedom of speech way over the line. And ham radio is not about that. And uh, could you touch on those differences a little bit for us? Yeah, and, you know, when when the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, the government agency that regulates broadcasting and, and radio, when they first created a ban for just the average public to use for emergencies on the road and that sort of thing, they messed up in a lot of ways. They, they put it on a frequency ban that does have propagation that will allow it at times to reach great distances, which causes a lot of interference. Which used to and be a hand really band. anticipate how popular, how popular it would be, and so many people would get on there, to the point that it was became just totally renegade and unregulation unregulatable is that a word it is there there was no way they could really regulate it and as you say some people who use the band will use language that i certainly don't i don't want to hear much less do i want my kids or grandkids to hear it um and a lot of people do run excessive power and they run extremely dirty signals that create quite a bit of interference out of the services the FCC is backed up, and they've now have the family radio service and some of those that are on a much better uh, set of frequencies for the the intended purpose of uh, a citizen's band. But I will back up and say a lot of people got into CB radio because they just loved radio. They wanted to be able to communicate. And a lot of those did migrate to ham radio, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I think, too. I remember from the 70s, I I was fascinated when I listened to my brother's CB radio um, communication because I would stand in his room and watch him speaking to people who were mobile. They were, in my mind in that time, how can you talk to someone who's in a vehicle going down the road? You know, question mark, because in my mind, that technology was so far out there. It was just, it seemed 
is so miraculous and so amazing and to me, just as a kind of a layperson. I didn't really understand it. but uh, Well, and, that's what it really gets me, is you could take a little 5-watt radio that will fit inside an Altoid tin, these little kits, and just a simple wire or vertical antenna and go to a mountaintop somewhere and literally talk all over the world. It's amazing. It's bananas. That's what ham radio. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Let me... Let me bring up something that's one of my favorite things about ham radio, and and that is special event stations. And special event stations are ham radio enthusiasts that will celebrate a particular day or an event or a location. And Krista's first HF contact was on the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, and that contact was made from the Huntsville Space and Rocket Center. And her father was involved in NASA uh, from Gemini through the first space shuttle launch. Uh, he worked for NASA. He was part of getting men to the moon and back. And so that was special for her to make that. But a lot of like D-Day, there, there are all types of museum ships. And I remember I'm driving through Birmingham one day, and I'm in my little pickup. It wasn't that small of a pickup. And I had just a, a very inexpensive antenna and a 100-watt radio. And I'm just dialing around the, the radio and uh, listening, and I hear a voice that I recognize. And it's Don Keith in Connecticut doing a special event on the, what was it, the anniversary of the building or the anniversary of it going under the polar cap? Of what, the Nautilus? Yep, and that's one of my favorite memories of all time. I'll back up and say, when we finish this interview, I'm going to flip on, I've got the radio on already, but I'll dial up and down the, the bands, primarily 20 meters and 40 meters, and I'll be listening for special event stations just because I love talking to the, 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 the special events. And those can range anywhere from the Skunk Hollow Festival in uh, Podunk, Nebraska. <laughs> Butterbean <laughs> Festival. Exactly. Right. All the way up to love the United it. Nations or yeah. celebrating Marconi going across the Atlantic Ocean with a right. radio signal. Or the 50th anniversary of the USS Nautilus going to the North Pole in 1958, That's which I awesome. had the honor of being a part of. I wrote the book with uh, Captain William Anderson that told the story of USS Nautilus and the reasons behind they decided to take the only nuclear vessel in the world and risk a crew of 120 men's lives to go where no man had gone before and where they didn't even know if they could go. Mm. That's beneath the polar ice pack through the North Pole, and come out from the Pacific to the Atlantic just to prove the capability of being able to operate under the ice with the new nuclear vessels. Well, it was a thrill to do that book with Captain Anderson, and it was a thrill to commemorate the event 50 years later from Groton, Connecticut, right next to the Navy Submarine School there on the Thames River, spelled just like Thames in London, but they pronounce it Thames. Mm -hmm. The USS Nautilus is a historic naval ship it's a museum ship, and you can go aboard and tour that ship absolutely free. But I got a, a group of guys in Connecticut to help me, and we put that special event station on the air for the weekend. And uh, I hope I've got time. I, I want to try to make this story short. One of the stations, when, uh, when Nautilus came out from beneath the polar ice pack 
and they were trying to reach people and let them know that they had successfully made that voyage, including President Eisenhower, um, all the top brass, everybody who knew about it was very nervous because if they had had an accident and lost that vessel, that would have been absolutely tragic, not only for the loss of life, but for American technology, which is one of the reasons they wanted to make the run in the first place, mm -hmm. was to demonstrate the Russians weren't getting far ahead of us. But anyway, they were trying to let the world know that they had safely made it through the North Pole, place where no vessel had ever gone before. They couldn't get anybody to answer until finally uh, the naval station in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, heard them. And understand Nautilus is sitting just off the coast of Greenland at the time. Oh, my word. The guy, the radio operator at Pearl Harbor Naval Radio Station was a ham radio operator. And when we did the 50th anniversary, that fella got on the air and made a contact with us on Morse code. Wow. As we were doing the special events. You talk about moly. a thrill. That's incredible. Well, it, it was um, it was really exciting for me. I pulled over into a parking lot uh, on Fourth Avenue South in Birmingham, and it took me a couple of calls. And I think that it was the fact that Don recognized my voice <laughs> that uh, he came back to me. But uh, that chasing those museum ships, I tried to get the uh, USS Midway in San Diego. I tried for twelve years. And we were coming up here to visit one weekend, and I brought a radio and just, uh, I guess I could call it shoddy uh, antenna, and literally threw it up into a couple of trees here. I didn't even have anchor lines, just threw it up into the tree. Third call, I hit the USS Midway in San Diego, California. <laughs> and On a special yeah, and by the way, Mark, I, I don't want to intimate that, that, that working you wasn't just as big a thrill as it was working that fellow <laughs> from uh, I, I know. Pearl Harbor. I know you are I, a good storyteller. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I know where I fit in that one. Uh, I, I would be on the same page. Uh, that would be a tremendous thrill. Did you know about him ahead of time, or did he introduce himself on the air? I, I knew about him ahead of time, but I had no idea he was going to try to call in. And, and he actually emailed us and let us know he was going to try to work us. And he asked specifically if we could go to Morse code. Uh, that was the only Morse code contact we made for that entire weekend. Wow. Everything else was on single sideband. How about that? And all over the world. We we made more than 3,500 contacts there in just about two days. Wow. And, oh, uh, but, but knowing he was there, we were kind of listening for him. And when I heard the Morse, I knew it was him. And I quickly switched over and we made the contact. That's awesome. Awesome. Very awesome. Well, Don, what else would you like to tell folks today? And we've got whatever amount of time you would like to um, to take. I can always cut Krista out and shorten this thing some. <laughs> Try it. Well, understand that I could I could probably go for about six hours. I used to do a four hour, five hour radio show, so right. we, we'd have to play a record or two somewhere along the way. Uh, if people remember what a record was, I remember. music, a song. Yeah, yeah. that's when you I, did I something nobody else has done, right? <laughs> That's right. a record? Yeah. Well, I, I guess the main point is, you know, ham radio is not for everybody. I do think it's for a lot more people than realize it because they just don't totally understand what the hobby's all about. I would recommend that if you have any interest at all, come to my ham radio website 
or you can go to donkeith.com and uh, go to the site. But my, my ham radio website is n4kc, my call sign, dot com. N4kc, November 4 kilo charlie.com. And I've got about 20, 25 articles on there specifically designed for people who might have an interest in the hobby, who want to get on the air, and some easy ways to get them on the air. I have written four books. Uh, two of those are specifically for people that have an interest or think they have an interest or had an interest at one time and had a disappointing experience or whatever, uh, a chance to, to see what the hobby's all about today and see if we can rekindle that spark, charge the battery back up or whatever. The, the bottom line is the hobby offers something for everybody. Uh, whether you're young or whether you're a retiree or thinking about being one soon. Male or female, um, too. A lot of women, like myself, yes, are finding it. Yes, absolutely. In- and I, that's, I, I am seeing a, a tremendous amount of new interest from females from different ethnicities. This used to be an old white man's hobby, mm-hmm. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. And you look at uh, pictures from ham radio clubs, and they're all old white men with gray hair. <laughs> Most of us overweight. But that is not the typical ham at all today. There, there are a lot more young people. There are a number of young people organizations. They're really getting into launching balloons that have ham radios aboard. They're sending rockets into space. They're using the satellites. They're using the uh, computer technology to be able to communicate whether you've got an RF signal or not or to use. I, for example, every Wednesday night, I take part in a net. That's a group of hams who get together. It's a 60s music and television trivia net where they ask trivia questions and we try to answer the questions correctly. It's a lot of fun. Well, this net happens to be in Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm sitting here in Birmingham, Alabama, and I cannot talk to them on the frequency that they use from Birmingham. So I use my computer to log into the uh, repeater in Tucson, on Mount Lemon in Tucson, and participate in a net. Is that through Echo Link? Yeah, as it happens, it's Echo Link. Echo Link, uh, part of this book, uh, Making Contact During Emergencies, started from us trying to put together an emergency contact plan for our family. We have folks from North Carolina. Um, Tennessee, Tennessee, Alabama, Alabama, and right there in Leeds, Alabama. And one of the things is, and that's one of the reasons Brandon went ahead and got his ham radio license, is so that after an emergency in any one of those locations, all we have to do is make one contact outside of the impact area, and that person will let everybody else know that we're okay or send help. And Echo Link is one of the things that we looked at for being able to do that. And I talked. Yeah, Echo Link, it, it's extremely easy to use. It's absolutely free. The only requirement is that you have a ham radio license. Mm-hmm. Because at one end or the other, you're going to be using radio frequency. Correct. Uh, a repeater station or whatever, somewhere else in the country. And I, I can't emphasize how easy it, it is to use. And. We've got one fellow who checks in with us every week who travels in his job, and he could be in Washington, D.C. or Seattle, Washington, on his cell phone. 
He checks in and participates. That's incredible. This technology can be your friend. Uh, it, it can yes. be exasperating sometimes, but when it works, it works beautifully. It's amazing. Unless you're trying to program my remote control on my television. Oh, for, that. forget that's, it. Forget that's it. when you need a teenager. <laughs> If they would only build television, exactly. smart, a smart television to me would have ham radio technology behind it because then that would be really smart. <laughs> That's where my six-year-old grandson comes in. Right. Done it. <laughs> Been there. Uh-huh. Oh, my. Well, Don, we certainly appreciate uh, you being with us. And uh, before we go, let's uh, tell folks one more time how they can get in touch with Don Keith and how they can find your books. Yep. Uh, the books are available anywhere books are sold. If you just do a search for Don Keith on Amazon, you'll see the full list there. 35 I've published so far. I think 33 of them are still in print. Uh, I've got two more coming next year. I did a book on the Battle of Guam, which nobody knows anything about. It's one of the big battles of World War II in the Pacific, <laughs> along with the rest of the Marianas. A great human interest story because of the Chamorro people who were so brutally treated by the Japanese there on the, the island of Guam. That book will be out, and I've got uh, book number six in the Hunter Killer series of submarine thrillers. If you like Tom Clancy, if you like Dale Brown, you'll love our Hunter Killer series. They're awesome Those books. Those are all listed there on my website, too. That's at Dot com. Keith is spelled K-E-I-T-H. We break the rule, I before E, except after C. <laughs> um, and if, if you're interested in the ham radio books, they're, they're listed on there as well. But if you go to my website, the ham radio website, I've got uh, a bunch of articles on there about getting into the hobby and how easy it is to do and some suggestions for antennas, that kind of thing. And I appear quite a bit at Hamfest and speak on those subjects, but that website is n4kc.com. Don, we appreciate that. I also want to make mention here recently and in current times, the Colors of Character documentary film is now playing in selected theaters. Uh, Mark and I are actually going to go view it tomorrow, and we want to make sure that our listeners go and uh, investigate that particular film. I think it's going to be very meaningful in a lot of respects, and it's very encouraging and motivating and should give us a lot of hope. And uh, Don, it's been a well, pleasure we... speaking with you, and, and uh, what else would you like to share? Well, I... Uh, yeah, yeah. I couldn't think of a better time for this particular movie to come out, and everybody is telling us the timing is perfect. We think it's awful because people are afraid to go to theaters, but theaters are doing a great job of being completely safe. We were just thrilled with the way the theater handled things last night when my wife and I went and saw the movie. First time we'd seen it on the big screen, but... um, it's the it's the perfect time. If you need something that's going to uplift you and make you feel better, this movie will do it. Fantastic. That's great. We are looking forward to it so much, and it's been a pleasure speaking with you and sharing this time with you, and we hope to have you on again real soon. Maybe that next uh, book comes out, we'll bring you back on for an interview. I know our listeners would be delighted. <laughs> I'd be delighted to be on, and by the way, 73, if you want to tell folks what that means. 73 is just uh, uh, good luck, good wishes, uh, things like that. Kind of an over-and-out sort uh, of a radio. Over-and-out. That interview was recorded on Saturday, and it's now Sunday evening, and we've just returned from seeing the movie Colors of Character. What were your impressions? Oh, my. I had a 
vast array of impressions. First of all, it was a well-produced documentary about the life of uh, painting artist Steve Skipper from Alabama. I did not know anything about this gentleman until we had spoken with Don uh, on yesterday's podcast. And uh, now that I have seen this documentary, which was so beautifully done, and please let me encourage you, if it's anywhere within driving distance for you to go see this, I cannot stress enough how positive, encouraging, uplifting, faith-based power of God, amazing gifts and talents out of a young man whose life was destined to be destroyed. Uh, Had he continued on his own path of his own choices, he would surely have been a destroyed life. But he just, he will thrill you. He will. His story is amazing. I'm so appreciative of Don Keith and uh, Chris Danielson for writing the book. Chris Danielson was the director and was just such an incredible, amazing talent. So many important, fascinating, influential people came into Steve Skipper's life and encouraged him, helped him grow, helped him develop, uh, opened doors for him, uh, all of it being just the, the power of God in his life and his willingness to be used of God in such an amazing way. She said pretty much everything I was going to say. <laughs> that I, I usually I, do. <laughs> <laughs> she does. I would encourage you to see that movie. It should be coming out in about 200 theaters here in the next month or two. They have made it available to where you can show that movie at your church. And if you're in a position to be able to influence that in any way, I would definitely encourage you to go to the website colorsofcharactermovie.com. Do yes. go there. And they, they have made that available, and there's more information there. But we would encourage you, we wanted to come back and just let you know that we had seen that movie and uh, how much we believe that it's blessed our life and it will bless yours as well. Anything else you have tonight? I just think that it's uh, uh, the timing of God for this type of movie to be released now at this time in our lives in our nation where we do need to come together as neighbors, friends, family, uh, uh, different cultures and ethnicities just need to just hand in hand come together and and realize that um, we are blessed and we are a great nation. God just wants to do so much in our lives if we'll just let Him do that. And I just can't encourage you enough that this is one of the best documentaries I have ever seen. And I see a lot of documentaries, but I was thrilled to learn the story of painting, brilliant painting artist, Steve Skipper. Amen. Take us out. Well, we wanted to want you to know we appreciate you listening to our podcast. Uh, we'd like for you to leave us a five-star review. That helps other people hear the podcast as well. We want lots of people to hear it. We want you to share this with your friends and your family. You can reach us on Facebook at Practical Prepping. You can reach us by email at info at practicalprepping.info. And our website is www.practicalprepping.info. Info And all, as always, we want you to remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared.